even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. The words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to open up the transporter room. Hello again, everybody. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. This is the transporter room, the convergence of sports, transness, sci-fi, gaming, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff. And coming up later on Carly's last call, we're going to look at a question that I ask as I ponder the life and works of someone whom I consider a personal hero. That's coming up later. Also coming up on the show this week, this kid behind me. He's a cool dude who swims fast. Isaac Hennig from Yale University. We're going to beam him up a little bit later on as well. But first, the news and notes of the week that was and the week to come. So we're going to start out with what will become something of a semi-regular feature here at the Transporter Room. I call it the Aaron in the Morning Report, named after friend of the podcast and noted policy researcher Aaron Reed. Oh, by the way, a lot of the information that we're getting for this part, portion of the show comes from Aaron's Substack. Information on how you can get, get in the know and subscribe underneath here in the liner notes because the information that Aaron Reed puts out is some serious information you need to know about. And we're going to start in the state of Oklahoma, and they have decided to really up the ante on banning affirming health care. You know, most states say that, you know, okay, no affirming health care for trans youth under 16. None, no one, no affirming health care for people under 18. In Oklahoma, they're laying an even bigger egg. Now they, they're saying, no, no affirming health care for anyone aged 20, under 26 and under. 26. Uh, let me see. You can vote at 18. You can go get a drink at 21. Uh, 26? Wow. This. This is up in the ante, even for people that already show they really don't like trans people all that much. But, you know, Chris Mosier had something to say about this and talked about the method to the madness that you're seeing here. This is by design. By introducing something that's totally extreme and hopefully will never pass, something like banning care for someone up to age 26, by dialing that back later on during negotiations to age 21 or 18, it's going to seem a lot more reasonable to other people. Elsewhere, there's a new bill proposed in North Dakota. Another form of ridiculousness right here. It would force any employer receiving state funding as well as all government employees to misgender transgender people based on... Now, this is a quote from the text of the bill. Based on quote, the individual's deoxyribonucleic acid. I don't even think the person who wrote this thing understands what they're talking about here. So let me get this straight. We are going to identify people by the base of DNA molecules that they identify. So you have to identify as adenine, cytosine, guanine, or thymine. Is, the, is that what this bill is saying here? Oh, by the way, any person who violates this this section of the bill will be assessed 
what they call a fee. No, it's it's called a fine, not a fee, of $1,500. $1,500 for this. For this. You know what? Why don't these people just say, yes, I'm a transphobe, and go on their way? And then there is Indiana's H House Bill 1118. Now, this bill is actually desi designed to ban conversion therapy, but it's been amended to also slip in a poison pill, which would define prescribing, administering, or furnishing to a minor a drug to stop or delay puberty, to prescribe, administer, or furnish to a female minor testosterone or estrogen-suppressing drugs as akin to a form of conversion therapy. Wow, a political Darvo attack on the legislative floor. Like I said, if you want to know more about this and some of the other nonsense that's coming out of some of the anti-trans legislators in this country, I'm going to link you to the Aaron Reed Substack, Aaron in the Morning, because you need to know, and knowing is half the battle. It's getting wild across the pond as well. In the UK, the, the battle over gender recognition uh, is really reaching a white-hot level in the 2023. Last month, the Scottish Parliament passed gender recognition reform. Now, this cleaned up some of the issues in regards to the gender recognition certificates. Now, that is a document that trans people in the UK receive that basically affirms that the state recognizes your gender identity. The state recognizes you as the gender identity you say you are. Now. This certificate, and I've gotten explanations from a number of people in the know, like a Katie Montgomery, for example. And basically, all this certificate does is clean up certain legal things. It has nothing to do with bathrooms. It has nothing to do with sports. It has nothing to do with schools. It has nothing to do with public accommodations of any kind. This cleans up the legal things, i.e., for example, you don't have to misgender yourself when you get married or get a passport or when you die. Things like that. That's all this does. But the gender criticals and the transphobes continue to have an issue with this, including the official transphobes that run the British government, the Tory party. Rishi Sunak and his Tory government have said that they would block recognition of this. They are saying that they are fully prepared to block recognition. That is, in post-devolution UK, that is unprecedented. That's unprecedented. I mean, just another issue for a Tory government that already has a lot of issues in what could potentially be an election year. Right now, the UK is staring down the barrel of a possible election. Now, here's where, here's where it gets sticky. The opposition, the Labour Party, led by Keir Starmer. Sir Starmer has been interviewed, and he has essentially said that he supports, he supports what the Sunak government's trying to do. He seems to be in support of it. And he has said that in a number of outlets, and he's been called to account by a number of people, commentators, trans rights activists in the UK about this. Here's what Starmer had to say Monday to LBC Radio. I am worried, Amber, if I'm honest, just about the fact that I think this is being used by the SNP as a sort of devolution 
political football and I think it's being used by the government or might be used depending on what view they as a sort of as a divisive football and it will be the first time that um, uh, a provision yeah, passed indeed. in Scotland ever ever been blocked that is a big step for uh, a government to take I will wait and see what they do and the reasons they say they're doing it but let's get um, I do not want this to be um, just another political football but I accept Amber um, and readily accept that there are a small number of people who um, do not identify with the gender into which they were born and they are often um, you know, amongst the most um, abused in our society, and they should be respected. I'm also worried, Amber, about the impact or, uh, on equality laws. That's why um, various amendments were put down to the legislation in Scotland. Now, I have those concerns, Amber. I think what I want to have, Amber, um, is a, a grown-up debate about this. So let's go through the checklist, shall we? Scapegoat the Scottish National Party and Nicola Sturgeon because they're possibly talking about independence again. Check. Say, I have concerns. Check. You know something? That word political has been thrown around a lot. In some ways, Keir Starmer sounds like McLaren Formula One CEO Zach Brown when talking about the new regulations in Formula One, which basically say, before you can wear a shirt that has a quote, political, religious, or personal message on it, you have to get the permission of Formula One. Zach Brown had this to say to ESPN a couple weeks back. Politics is tricky by nature. And that's what they're probably at a macro level trying to avoid is let's not have Formula One become a political hotbed for various topics. But it's damned if you do, damned if you don't on some of these topics. I think that's what we're trying to avoid. Let's not turn Formula One into a political sport. Zach, dear Zach. What do you think you signed up for when you became the CEO of a Formula One team? Formula One has always been politics. It always will be politics. I find it interesting. You don't want Formula One to be political unless Andretti Cadillac wants to join it. Hashtag just saying. There's some good stuff in Outsports this week. Um, they, some excellent stories, some great stories coming out, some things to look at. One of those, Alex Rimmer had a great, had an excellent story on Anders Nelson, volleyball coach, openly gay, who's going to be the first coach of Vanderbilt's new program. Vanderbilt is starting a volleyball team, and they're bringing him in to lead it. Also, Kenny Schultz had a good story on how on what Skate Canada is doing in regard to allowing same-sex pairs and ice dancers to compete. And the positive and the positive reception it's receiving. And there's the stories that have come in recent days from Sid Ziegler about the curious case of Tony Dungy and some of the comments he's made in the past and why in NBC as a network is turning a blind eye to the former coach turned NFL analyst. I would encourage you to read it. And I would encourage you to read it and read it with an open mind. I did, and, and I'll say this. It has me looking at things in a very different manner, and it has me looking at things more. But I do have a take based on some of the things I read, and, and those articles will be in the liner notes. Tony Dungy and also CBS, NFL, and 60 Minutes correspondent James Brown 
our featured speakers at a coming men's conference that's being sponsored by Andrew Womack Ministries. Now, Andrew Womack, I'm not going to mince words, is a Christian dominionist. He is a person who believes that January 6th didn't happen. Uh, he's, 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 he's very much an evangelical Trumper. And he has never had anything kind to say about the LGBTQ community. Uh, he likens being LGBTQ to an illness. He said that being gay is more hazardous to your health than cigarettes. And he also says that transgender people like me were made from Satan. Now, wow. Um, just to note, Reverend Womack, I'm a foot-washing Bible-believing Christian. So if I come from Satan, that's news to me. Hashtag just saying. But I encourage you to read this articles. Read the articles. Now, one thing I will say about this. Tony Dungy, neither Tony Dungy nor James Brown have made disparaging comments about LGBTQ people on air. Now, Tony Dungy has been quoted, for, for example, he was quoted by in a newspaper article about Jason Collins when Jason Collins came out saying he didn't approve of his quote-unquote lifestyle. He also said, if I was a head coach, I wouldn't have drafted Michael Sam. Uh, because I didn't want to deal with the quote-unquote distractions, you know, that that nonsense. not Things that have been really proven nonsense. And while they do have the right to pursue whatever they want to pursue in their own time, here's my question. I really have two. One, when might that change? What situation may lead to the time when there's a hot microphone and they say something? And my second question is, would I, in a workplace that's striving to be inclusive, why do I want to bring that into my workplace? Why do I want people who are faces of my particular media source, my network, to be connected to someone like Andrew Womack. That's something for NBC and CBS to think about. But it also gives another thought that even with all the forward progress that we've made, LGBTQ discrimination is still seen as okay, even now. LGBTQ discrimination, especially if it's polite, is still seen as okay. And to me, that's a problem. Some shout-outs this week. First shout-out to your favorite soccer side, mine, or excuse me, football. Since I'm talking about a British team, I'm going to use what they use. Truck United FC. No, for Transnet Visibility last year, they decided to make some history. They put together the first all-trans women's side, and they took on a side somewhere in the English football pyramid. They played a fifth division team in a match, the first ever match in the history of the FA and probably the entire world. Well, they're going to run it back in 2023. For Trans Day of Visibility, Truck United announced over the weekend that they are going to put together an all-trans man side. And they're going to find a team in the football pyramid to play against. And let's have a match. 
I'm looking forward to it very much. They haven't figured out who exactly the opponent will be yet. They're still putting the team together, but they said it's a go for Trans Day of Visibility this year. And once we get once we get all the particulars, we're going to beam that team up to the transporter room. And Lucy Clark, I have a challenge for you. Let's write and record a proper football song for the lads. If you do that and record it, I'll play it right here in the transporter room. Also, a special shout out to transporter room NFL analyst Shauna Atkinson. Now, Atkinson was a part of two dodgeball sides based in her native Ohio that went out to Las Vegas at the Sin City Classic. Now, the Sin City Classic is a fun LGBTQ sports weekend. If you can think of the sport, they got a tournament for it. Shauna plays dodgeball, and she's a good player. I'm talking really good. She, she was a headliner in the dodgeball tournament there. She was in an elimination match where she had such a performance that after the match was over, she was given a standing ovation by the entire gym. It This was huge for Shauna. I mean, Shauna played her guts out. Her team ended up getting eliminated, but her play throughout the tournament was, was so great that two of the players on her side who also played for the USA Dodgeball travel team asked her if she wanted to be a part of the USA Dodgeball's travel team they were on for a tour they have coming up later this year. Caught her up with her over the last day or two, and she said she's considering this offer. If there's a way to do it, she says she wants to do it. And Shauna, I hope you do. And that's the Red Alert Claxon. Got to take a break. Give love to the sponsors. But when we come back, Yale's Isaac Hennick. We beam him up and he sits down with us. That's coming up. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. This is the Transporter Room. Stay with us. This event this week is off and underway to 53. The favorites in the middle of the pool, lane four, Isaac Hennig. The defending champion in lane five, Nikki Venema. And Isaac Hennig is off to a rapid start. Venema right there. They share the same lane divider. It will be Isaac Hennig for the first time, an individual Ivy League champion. And welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay-Webb. And there is a line in the Yale Fight song that states, when the sons of Eli break through that line. Well, I know of a son of Eli who bro who's broken through some historic lines in the last year or so. A young man named Isaac Henning. Isaac Henning is a swimmer at Yale University. He is one of three transgender student athletes in NCAA history to win a Division I conference individual championship, and he's one of only three transgender student athletes who's earned All-America status. The road he has traveled has been one that's raised a few eyebrows. For most of his college career, he was part of the Yale women's team, one of the most competitive teams at the Ivy League University consistently in the battles with Harvard and Princeton for the conference championship. This year, Hennig's senior year, he's doing something 
he's wanted to do for quite some time. As he stated in an op-ed he wrote for the New York Times just a few weeks ago, I chose to compete as my true trans self. I win less, but I live more. With more on that, a guest that I'm quite pleased and privileged to have with us here at the Transporter Room. Beaming up from Yale University, Isaac Hennig, welcome to the Transporter Room, Energize. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. And I want to just tell you right out, it's awesome to have you here. And it's great to see what you've done in the pool and out of the pool. But how do you feel your season's you. going so far? It's good. It's good. I uh, I can't complain. Um, we're looking at two more meets uh, for, for the rest of the season, and hopefully it'll just keep getting better. What has been the biggest adjustment for you coming from the competitive reality you were in last season to where you're at now? Yeah. Um, honestly, the biggest challenge has been finding uh, – like a new niche on the team, you know, like every, every person on the team is important. And I was used to being the one scoring points. And now I've, I found a really happy place, you know, cheering from the sidelines, um, believe it or not. Uh, but that's only been an adjustment. I was at the meet this past weekend, the meet with the meet with Penn and Dartmouth. And first off senior year, last meet home pool. Did the emotions hit you? Yeah, yeah, it was definitely it was definitely tough. Um, they did a nice ceremony with the parents, and there was a lot of there was a lot of tears. Um, you know, which is which is sweet. One thing you talked about you talked about finding that new that find the new niche on the team. In effect, you know, just being the being the energy person, pumping the team up, pumping the guy, pumping the guys like the Connor Lees and the Lucius Browns up. But there was something I saw in the 200 free relay. I saw at the beginning of the relay, you know, you just had that nice little smile smirk going, you know, rooting for your teammates. First leg gets in, second leg gets in. And then I realized I'm looking back, third leg, the third leg's jumping in, the third leg is not you. So first off, anchor. And you say you like that. I do. It's, it's my favorite spot on the relay. It always has been. Uh, there's something really fun because you just you put it all out on the line and you know you've got the whole setup. You you know your teammates have, have put you in a good spot, so you just go. Now, I know, one thing I did notice when you were on that when you were on that starter block, ready to go, that smile was gone. You were in it. You were in it. I could tell you were locked into it. Because you saw that third leg, the it was the Yale team, the Penn team, way out in those outside lanes. They hit third legs, hit the water at the same time, and you're coming back, and you have a slight lead. So take me to through that pro that thought process just before you hit that water and through that leg and through that fifty yards. Yeah, I mean. Um... It's, it's a good opportunity. It's it's a really good setup because, you know, we had a small lead going in and, you know, I was just like, okay, like I have to, I have to hold on to this. Let's, let's see what we can do. Um, 
it's a relay team that I've been on a couple times this year. So the four of us are, you know, work as a team. And I was like, okay, like, let's, let's see what we can do. Like, <laughs> admittedly, we've, we've come in last almost every time. So this was a good opportunity to, uh, to not do that. So that's really what was going on in my head. I was like, okay, like, let's, let's get this one. Now, sitting in the seats and shooting this and shooting some of this video, press aren't supposed to root. I'd be lying if I if I said I wasn't at least inside internally. I was rooting. I was like, "Come on, stroke Isaac, stroke!" I was like, "Stroke Isaac, stroke!" You know, it's like because it was tight. You had a slight lead, and that, but you held it. And I was just so happy you touched first. And I look at that juxtaposed to the people who, to the number of people, especially you know, in the, you know, the Twitter sphere and the interwebs. Who say things like, well, this Isaac, this Isaac person really just sucks, you know, 679 fastest, whatever, near the back. I'm sure you've read some of it, you get a lot of it. What's your thoughts on that? On yeah. the people saying like Isaac Hennick proves proves all the guff we gave Leah Thomas last year is true. How do you feel about that about that? Yeah, I mean, it's there's two parts to it, right? Like, swimming is an objective sport. It's time-based, you know? Like, yeah, I know that I'm not... <laughs> I know that I'm not winning. You know, that's that's not why I do the sport. That's not, you know, why I, I chose to swim this year. Um, and then in terms of the, like, it proves, you know, whatever that they like to tell about Leah, like, I don't think anyone is arguing that you know, women's sports and men's sports are the same. But I think, like, I think that, I mean, again, it's times-based. Men's times are faster than women's times. Generally, that's how it works. But at the same time, I think there's a lot more sort of variety in the sport that, like, there's nuance to it. And I think the idea that, like, my competing on the team proves that right is is wrong because, like, I've been on testosterone for less than a year and I'm, you know, again, not good. And I'll grant that, but I'm competitive, right? I'm in it. I'm racing, you know, at an elite level. And so it's like, you know, if anything, it proves that like we should have more trans people in sports because no one is causing like the end of women's sports. You know, people just want to go out and play the sport and do the things that they love. Now, one thing, I remember reading in the New York Times op-ed you did that that for all intents and purposes as if it's as if you came in as a walk-on. I mean, that's something that one of the that one of the coaches said, your times are fast enough where you can walk on for us already. Is there at least a little something in your back of your mind that says, What if I could have four years competing like what if I could get four years competing like this? What could I do? Do you ever find yourself once in a while thinking that? Yeah, of course. You know, like this year has been so, so positive and I've loved it so much. I really connected with the guys, you know, literally as a family. And so, of course, I'm like, yeah, I wonder what it would have been like to to start my transition earlier when I was younger to, to have four years on the men's team. But at the same time, like, I'm really grateful for the experience I've had. I feel like it, you know, I learned so much being on the women's team. I've learned so much in the transition. I I wouldn't go back and change it. 
Now, what were some of the factors behind making the decision you've made these last two seasons? Beginning with, now, you're coming off, taking a year off, and you have top surgery, and you're, and you're pondering, what do I do with this trend? I'm pretty much, I'm me now. I, I want to do, I'm, I am living as me, but there's this one piece, and the coaches said, hey, we're going to give you the choice of what you want to do. What were some of the factors behind deciding to start one last ride with the women's team first? Um, I think, I mean, what ultimately the what ultimately was the was the deciding factor was the fact that I had committed to giving the women's team, you know, four years of of my you know best efforts of of what I could do, and I there was a lot that I felt like I could still do um with that last year and originally i had decided to you know stay on the women's team for for the other like for the rest of my college career right i i had planned on doing you know all four years with the women made the decision to switch part of the way through the season last year but um yeah it was it was the commitment i'd made it was um and it was honestly like the women on the team like i really do love them and and they're a lot of my really good friends that's one thing you've kept those. How important was you to keep to keep those bonds with the women's team even now? Because I've noticed at the meet over the weekend, you were talking to hey, you were pounding the fellas after a great run, but also you were pounding up you're pounding up the ladies after a great run as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the teams are really close, and we practice together, which really helps. So I get to see them all every day still. Um, so yeah, it's very important. I, I I love the people on my team. What was the toughest pieces of last season? I think I had a lot of fear. Um, I really wanted my last year on the women's team to mean something, and so I you know I I put a lot of pressure on myself to to go out and and to do well. Um, but at the same time, like I was so much happier. Uh, you know, living my life, I felt so much more comfortable that, you know, even even the things that were hard about the season, you know, didn't feel quite as hard as they had in the past. How did the results play into that? Because, for example, what's right behind me, the 53th Ivy League Championship, when you won and you exploded out of that water and the joy, even with, I'm sure even with all the difficulties and and the dysphoria. I say it often. Dysphoria is a bitch, and it can come, it can bite yeah. you. But at that moment, that joy. How did the results, especially that moment, affect all the other things that were going on? I mean, it it definitely made it feel worth it. You know, like the fact that I could I could sit back at the end of last season and say, yeah, like I have I have met the goals that I set out for myself. Uh, freshman year was an, an incredible thing to be able to say and it made it very much worth it to to have made the decision to stay um but i was definitely ready to to move to the men's team <laughs> what led you to decide that you know i got one more year in this thing you know i could win another ivy league title maybe even get back to the ncaa's maybe even do better what were some of the factors that said nah onto the men's team now new chapter some of the same things you know the fact that i 
that I had, you know, won a title, which was one of my goals. The fact that I had gone to NCAAs, which was one of my goals. Like I, I felt like I had, you know, fulfilled that commitment um, that I talked about before. You know, I was like, listen, like I, I gave the women's team, you know, a lot of points, a lot of success. I felt like I stepped into a role as a leader a little bit as a junior. And so, you know, I, I felt like I had fulfilled that and then I could get this year, my senior year to sort of do something that I know would make me happy, even if it didn't contribute to the team as much. Now, both teams, you, you train together, you practice together, you're around, you interact, but as all this Malstrom and all the noise was going, over this last year, were there conversations about what you were going through? I mean, among the teams, were there people that were asking questions? What What was just the, the interpersonal tenor like? I mean, forget all the noise and all the news and all the headlines. Just what, what was it like person to person among friends on the team and in the training room? I mean, my teammates have always been incredibly supportive. There was, I mean, people were checking in on me, making sure I was good, which was, which was lovely. Um, but yeah, I've, I've always been, you know, one of the people on the team and it's cheesy, but we're a family. And so, you know, that's, that's all I felt. Looking at the team you're on right now this year, Yale men four straight. And right now you're right in the middle of that. And of course the, the battle at the top of Mount Olympus coming up at Blodgett Pool in Cambridge with Harvard, Yale, Princeton. I'm put on the analyst hat. What's that meet looking like? If, if you're if you're new to swimming and you're going and that's your first meet, who are you looking? Who would you tell those people to look out for? I mean, I'm biased as an analyst, but like, look out for us. You know, like this team is is relatively young and really hungry and we're closer than we've ever been um and so i think this is going to be you know a really fun meet princeton and harvard are incredibly good at what they do you know there's a reason that they've been on top but they had a they graduated some serious uh talent last year so i'm excited to see what can be done Looking forward to run one more run in a meet that big? Yeah, definitely. It should be fun. What was the transition process like to to move over and, in a sense, move into that training room? Granted, the teams have always been close anyway, but what was it like to just fully integrate yourself into the team? Um, it was good. I think it was a really positive thing that I had started to lift with the men last year um so that's one of the only practices where we're separate is is in the weight room and i had i had joined the men so i got used to to doing that with them and then when the season ended last year i just you know moved my locker nameplate you know to the other room and no one there, no one thought twice you know it was very very easy and then you know this year in terms of the social stuff just like getting to know some of the guys better um it's been it's been really nice. They've they've welcomed me in with open arms. Now, one thing look from the looks of things, seeing you in the pool, you've been hitting that weight room pretty good. 
<laughs> yes, you've been it's hitting, one of my favorite things. Um, you've been you've been hitting the weight room. You've been hitting that weight room pretty. Any chance we'll see you playing Yale football? We could we could finagle at least one. <laughs> we could probably get a COVID ex- exemption. You know, I'll think about it. <laughs> no, but one thing, one thing I also noticed at the meet last Saturday was the interaction between yourself and coaches after every after every race. There were coaches. They were around you. You were talking. They were giving. They were most likely giving you pointers, and in a lot of other situations like this, coaches tend to like distance. How have the coaches pay, played into this process? All of this process, especially these last two years. Yeah, I mean, so Jim Henry is the head coach, um, and he has just you know set the expectation of a really positive you know, familial culture and, and he, you know, lives and breathes that like he's, it's actually really impressive. Like you'll mention like your cousin's name once and he'll like check in. He's like, Oh, how's your cousin doing? I'm like, what, like, how do you remember that? And it's everyone. And he really makes a point. And so that kind of seeps through everything. And so all of the coaches are, are really sort of, you know, like, we know that they want us to get better. And so they're available for feedback. They're going to give us tips. They're going to say, okay, you know, like I saw this, this, and this, like, what did you think? Um, and so it's, it's awesome. I, I love the coaching staff here. Now, one thing, just on a personal note, just take everyone away. Just talking about you and the article and the article that was done in the blazer earlier this week it was mentioned that hey this started free this has been something that's been gnawing at you since 14 since you were 14 that's a, and and in that time you have you have been a top swimmer at the high school level you qualified for the olympic trials you you were good enough to be to make a division 1 swim team and get into one of the most highly competitive educational environments in the world. And you dealt with all this. Do you ever look back sometimes and say, how in the world am I still here through all that? Um, it's, a, it's an interesting question because I think, I mean, I've had so much support along the way. You know, like... Yeah, like it was it was challenging, but I've, you know, I've had my family, I've had my friends, I've had my teammates and and they've always had my back. And so, you know, I never like wonder how I got here because I know how I got here through through the support and the love of of the people around me. Um, but I'm very grateful to be here. That is often the thought that I have where I'm like I'm like so so thankful. Well, that's one thing talking about parents cuz unfortunately a lot of trans folks they don't, that's the first roadblock you run into mom and dad. We think got mom and dad on board. I think there was one, I think one specific moment, um, that kind of got my mom was where, where she was like, Oh, okay. Like I get it, you know? Um, and this was, you know, on my gap year, I was, I was in our backyard, um, and I was playing with, with our dog and this was, this was pre-surgery. And I was just, you know, it was, it was our backyard, the trees around, no one can see. So I was just in, you know, trunks. And she said to me after, she's like, you looked so happy just running around. Like, I, I get it now. Like, I understand. 
you know? And so like, I think that that was, I mean, I feel it and they see it just how, how much happier I am, how much better I feel now. And so I think that's what, that's what helped them see. One of the great things about the transporter room, I'm glad, I'm glad I've gotten a lot of fellows on the show. A lot of trans men who are athletes have gotten have have been a part of this. In fact, one of the people I talked to was Taylor Edelman. Taylor Edelman was possibly the first transgender student athlete to be allowed to play authentically under NCAA rules when the rules were first put, put in place in 2011. And one thing he told me in his interview that we did last year was that the one thing people don't understand is that trans men play too. And they play to win. With that in mind, what are some things about trans men that most people, be they trans or cis, just don't get? What are the things they miss about this piece of the discourse? That's a good question. I mean, his point is a great one. I mean, he's right. I, I fully agree. Um, I would say also there's a, you know, tied, tied to that point, you know, maybe the other side of the same coin is like people tend to, to sort of write us off or, or think of us as, you know, softer or, you know, maybe not as, not as strong, not as tough as the other guys. And I think that's not true. You know, I, the trans guys I know are some of the toughest, most competitive people. And so I, you know, I think like, you know, even, even as I'm making points about saying, you know, like I, I don't win as much as I used to, like, yeah, that sucks, you know, and I'm still going to try and, and get better. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably, probably one of the biggest myths is that, you know, we're fundamentally different and we're not. Now, looking back on this last year, especially last season, because how has the experience, the good, the bad, and the ugly, influenced how you look at sport and also how you look at life now? Yeah, I mean, hormones are a hell of a drug. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, you think? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so like, I think. I mean, last year it was, it was tough because of that sort of one place of incongruence. Um, but you know, in the last year, you know, being on, being on like tea and stuff, it's been, you know, I, I just feel more complete and I don't know. I don't know if the experience is the same for you, but like, it's crazy. Like you just, you feel better all the time it's better than antidepressant (laughs) let me put it this way it's the it's pretty much the same once you once you're at that point and no what was it like first time first time you're on t what was that first however they deliver however you get it delivered what was that first time like yeah so i i do a shot every week um, in the leg. Okay. Um, okay. Another, another injection kid. Same here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the first one I had to go into the, to the doctor's office. Cause they were like, we don't, we, we want to make sure you're doing this right. <laughs> Which is mm-hmm. appreciated. Um, 
but I just like remember walking away and was like, okay, so when do the changes start? I was so impatient. <laughs> I was like, okay, let's go. Okay, that's okay for 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 the cis people. That's trans culture. Mm-hmm. Just so you know that that impatience. That's just that's just part of being us. And and I'll just have you know. I always give this disclaimer to the cis people. We're getting deep trans right now. Yes. Yeah. This is you're gonna learn. You're gonna learn some. You're gonna learn some stuff right now. So <laughs> you're gonna learn some things. But yeah, the impatience. But I mean, just. But just that feeling. And no, I remember the fir- after my first estrogen shot. In fact, I, I, I was taught how to do it. And then I asked to do it myself. Mm-hmm. And once I got past temporary Parkinson's of having the needle in my hand, because my hand was shaking because I hate needles. Mm-hmm. Are you one of the people that, do you hate needles? Do you, were you one of those kids growing up that hated injections? I'm just wondering. No, I I, I get it. Like, I totally understand the aversion. It's never really been a thing for me, but I, I hear you. <laughs> not scared Not scared of injections. Likes the anchor leg in a relay. Okay, you're you're wired different, kid. <laughs> you're, just, you're wired. Put it on the list of red flags. <laughs> now, I don't know about red flags, but I'll tell you what. If I'm, if I'm in a dark alley taking you with me, because that's just... But that's one thing itself. You, what is it meant to take all the to take all these steps and then take that last one now? And you're, just, I know, impatient about the changes. But one, if I mean, we all get impatient about the changes. Believe me, that first that first shot, I was thinking like, okay, let's go. <laughs> and then the next week, the next shot, and you're thinking like, okay, let's go. When changes coming up, but how much? How much did it affect you mentally these last eight months? How much how much has changed for you mentally from maybe where you were at this time last year? I mean, it's it's night and day. Um, especially, you know, I used to have, you know, a really strong like seasonal effect with with my mental health, you know, and the winter's been easier, you know, and obviously like it's not, you know, gonna, gonna solve everything off the bat, but like, it's, it's really cool because it, it feels, you feel complete, you feel whole, you know, like it it no longer feels like there's something missing, which is something that I, that I, you know, felt before. And so I think just, it makes me more able to handle whatever life does throw at me. Now, how's that carried over beyond just the pool? Like, classes like relate like relations with friends family people on campus what's it like being fully in all your elements of your life as yourself now it's i mean it's awesome it's i i can't say enough good things about it um i think people really respond to to authenticity and being able to like offer my like whole authentic self and you know relate to people in that way has been really really cool it means that my friendships are better my relationships with you know coaches teachers parents etc like is is better just because i'm coming from a place of of feeling good and feeling complete now what are some of the things you're doing when you aren't swimming and with that in mind what's next for you because um come this may you're graduating. 
I am, yes. I mean, knock on wood, right? But uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, so, so I guess two answers to that one. I've been uh, exploring photography a little bit, trying to pick up a hobby. Um, you know, just that's a fun, fun thing to do. Um, but then in terms of, of work stuff, I've been looking at uh, renewable energy firms on the East Coast. And so looking at, to enter that space and, and do some work. Renewable energy. So that's going to be the next place we're going to hear from you. You're going to be like, what are some of the things you want to do in that? No, it's important. We're talking about like things like, uh, you know, you're going to Isaac Hennig climate change fighter. That's something we need. Something we need. What are some of the things you're looking at doing in that field? Yeah. Um, so far I've been, I've been looking at uh, like solar development um, type stuff or, or, you know, other local based projects, mostly just, um, you know, looking at, at smaller firms that are, that are making change in the space because it is something that I care a lot about. You know, I've, I've been interested in, you know, ocean science stuff since high school and then, you know, learned a lot about energy and, and climate change in college. And, you know, it's absolutely something that I, that I want to, you know, push for. And if I have a, if I have a voice, I'm going to use it. So. One place where, where we've heard, where we heard your voice was at NCAAs last year. It was on your right arm just before a race. Biggest, one of the biggest moments of your life, at least in your life as an athlete. And you chose to make a statement. Let trans kids play. At some points, will we be seeing more of that from you in the years ahead? I hope so. I, um, it's funny, in, in my conversation with, with Dawn Ennis, uh, she asked me if I identified as, as an activist, and I said, no, you know, I'm an, I'm an advocate. Um, you know, I think that I, I have been given this platform, you know, for, uh, I guess, a number of reasons. And I, you know, really enjoy taking advantage of that. Um, you know, and so, yeah, like, I'd love to, to continue doing that kind of work to, to pushing for change to connecting with people. Um, so how probably, much of Skylar, yeah. how much of Skylar Pilar influenced you? A lot. I've, I have been following him on on Instagram since high school. And so it was a very surreal experience to to meet him and and now to be his friend and so um he's been hugely influential, you know, someone who I've I've looked up to for a long time. A lot of respect for. Did he give you any advice, give you any nuggets to take with you especially with all like again with all the noise last year? Yeah, he was he was really helpful in and just sort of saying like listen, like focus on focus on yourself focus on your journey you know you're just doing the sport you like and you know don't read the comments <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's true uh, note to the cis people another piece of trans culture you get we don't read the comments mm. don't part of that is there was something that you said told the Hartford current last year and this quote is stuck with me I'm just some dude who gets to play his sport at a really cool level. I'm just here to go fast and have a good time. What yep. does that mean to you now with the career it's, winding down? 
It's still true. It's still true. It's uh, we'll switch the verb tense soon. You know, I'm just a, I'm I'm just some guy who got to play his sport at a really cool level. But um, I think you know I. It's true. Like it, I, I really do feel that way. I think I'm, you know, literally just, you know, I. It could be anyone, right? Like any any one person can can you know do something, and so like. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I, that quote stuck with me because that's how I feel about playing sports now. Mm. That's why uh, you were asking like how it was different or if it, or if it's the same, that, that first shot was a big deal just because I realized it was, a, Oh my God, it's happening. I'm really doing, it was more, mental than anything physical and sports was the same way you know i get i get that quote for me would be i get to compete in the sports i love being an athlete and being a lover of sport and a fan and now a journalist my entire working life and being and loving sports my entire life now i get to compete as myself i get to compete the way i want to i see my name and the results the way i want to and that's the way it hits me. So no, that quote said that quote says a lot because in a sense that's I mean, do do you ever just shake your head sometimes and wonder why can't all these people and all these distractors, those protesters in Atlanta last year, why can't they just get out of the way and just let us be, let us play? That's it. Yeah, no, it's it's I I really do I really do wonder about it. Um you know, because I think for a lot of athletes, that's all it is, you know, like it is such an honor and a joy to be able to continue doing the sport and the things that you love. And so, you know, yeah, I agree. <laughs> now, one thing about that statement, though, there's a there's a little bit of cockiness in it. There's a little. There's a little bit of compar- competitive arrogance in that. Like, I like, I'm cool, dude. I go fast. I have a good time. I'm just wondering when Ivy League championships last year, 100 freestyle, there's you and there's a certain Ms. Leah Thomas from Penn. Did y'all trash talk a little bit? Because after all, you beat her earlier in the year and now you guys get a rematch for with with money on the table. But the Ivy League championship on there was there a little bit, even just a little. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, like I'd love to be able to say, like, no, like we're really, you know, respectful competitors, but we got to be like good friends. And and I was like, come on, like, really, you can't, you can't let me win this one. Um, obviously, as a joke, you know, like, <laughs> I, I people have been throwing that accusation around. So I want to very untrue, but. That. After this, I want to get it on record on that. Did, <laughs> yeah. What was your thoughts on that? Because there are certain people in the sporting landscape who said that back last year at Penn, oh, I, Isaac, oh, Leah threw the race or whatever, or Isaac threw the race or whatever. There was a plan between you two. Let's, I want I don't buy it, but I want to hear it. So the funniest thing about that is that she and I had never spoken before that day. We had never met. We showed up, we raced, and then I like 
got to meet her and talk to her and like, you know, our friendship started, but like, that was why it was so funny to me. Like, obviously it's untrue. You know, that's a, it's a pretty outrageous <laughs> accusation. Um, but we literally never spoken. And so it just was funny. What was it like to meet at that moment? Because I'm pretty sure you didn't, you didn't know each other, but you knew the stuff, the stuff that was coming out in the, in the atmosphere. Yeah, I'd I'd heard about her and and seen some of the stuff, which was you know really horrible. Um, and it was really cool to meet her. She's an awesome human being. Um, you know, nothing nothing but affection there. Um, but yeah, it was. I think I think you get it. You know, like like trans people just kind of connect, and we're like, okay, you know, like there's there's a baseline of understanding, and so it was it was really cool to meet her and and. And now it's cool to be your friend. Have you have you been in contact with her since, like at least recently? I mean, right now, for those who may not know, Leah Thomas now is a law student at Drexel, and she's working on the next phase. She's working on the next phase of her life. Have you had it? Have you? Have, were you in contact much since NCAA's last year? On and off. Um... She and Skylar and I spent a weekend together over the summer, which was really sweet. Just hung out in Boston. Um, but, you know, like, something will happen, I'll shoot her a text or, you know, see something funny. So, you know, I don't know. Well, I want to ask one thing. If I can get access to a pool and get you two together... <laughs> How about a match race? Oh, man. <laughs> because let's face it, right now we need, we need, this has got to be a best of five. <laughs> <laughs> because remember, you, you, beat, you beat her at Penn, she nipped you at Ivy's, but you got her at NCAAs. But yeah. she won a national, but she also won a national championship. Yes, she did. Now, do you think we could get like a best of five? Get a couple hundred frees going, find a find a find a pool. How about it? Uh, listen, I don't know. I uh, I don't know if she's been training. So ask her, and if her answer is yes, then I'm in. How about okay, that? okay. See, that's another reason why Leah. We got to beam you up. We got to mm -hmm. beam. We got to beam you up because we got to make this happen. But. I'm what, what was the feeling for you that night, Atlanta, when she did win that national championship? I was so thrilled for her. I was so I was so happy for her, and I mean, it meant so much to the community, and it meant like I think so much to her as an individual, and then you know, and to me uh, as as her friend and as a supporter. Um, and I think all of the you know other other negative stuff that went with it was you know, really, really deeply unfortunate. But in the moment, I was just really happy. Now, coming into the home stretch, as we speak right now, there are 20 states that are considering all new anti-trans legislation. It, I mean, the beat just never stops going, it seems. What's your general thoughts on what you're seeing just in this landscape being trans in this society right now? 
I think it's really hard. I think um, there's a lot of a lot of these are are sort of people using legislation to drum up support uh, unduly. I think it's one of those things where like some of these states, like there's not actually any trans athletes competing, you know, right now. And so, you know, the bills are, are really just, you know, attacks on, on transness and on, on our personhood. And, you know, that's, that's hard to see. And like, obviously we're going to keep, you know, fighting against it. Um, but, you know, I like to think that at the same time, you know, there are other places that where like acceptance is growing and, and people are starting to, to get it. And so hopefully it'll, hopefully it'll change. <laughs> Fun question. Mm. Cause there was something that was in the, that was in the op-ed just talking about just going through your process and just getting comfortable with you. You try it on every tank top, t-shirt, sweater, hoodie. This is how I imagine my clones fitting, I thought. I felt so euphoric. So I'm just wondering, what's the Isaac and Hennig outfit now? Isaac's going out, hanging out, hanging out with the peeps around the Yale campus or hitting the, or hitting the short toads place on a Friday night. What hey, is the hey. Isaac Hennig outfit now? Uh, for better or for worse, you are seeing it. It's uh, <laughs> still, still a big hoodie, but um, a lot more white t-shirts than I used to. <laughs> how important was that though to have that moment where you realize at last stuff that fits all of me yeah i mean it was you know you talk about about the egg cracking right like that was my that was my egg moment where i was like oh fuck like this is <laughs> this is this is fundamental and, and deep you know like this is and I and I hadn't been able to name it before, um, and so that was really that was really cool. Was there a sports egg crack moment for you? Not not as much actually. I think swimming has has always been a really a really positive place for me. Exit question. We've had, we've had this time, especially in this last in this last year, what happened. But contrary to the belief of some who don't want to see it, the fact, it, and some of those who want to legislate rules against it, there will be another Leah. There will be another Isaac. There will be another CC Topher. There will be another Lucas Draper. There will be others. And. Who knows where that next kid is? They could be on a campus now. They could be coming to a campus near you. But but rest assured, that kid is coming. And they're coming to compete. And you may get that call a year, two, five years from now saying, Mr. Henning, I'm trans. I'm a student athlete. I'm heading off to college. I'm going to compete. What guidance can you give me? What would you tell that next kid who may come behind you? I mean, get after it, you know, like be your best self, 
compete as your best self, do what you can do and do what makes you happy. I think I would, I would share the piece of advice that Skylar gave me, which is like, follow the joy, you know, like, do, you know, prioritize yourself and, and what you need and, and get shit done. Like, let's go. I, I hope there's more. I want to see more. I'm excited to see the next and the next few. And I'm always open to that call. So. I think you've done more than follow the joy. You've caught it and grabbed onto it and you are not letting go anytime soon. Isaac Hennig, it's been an honor. Thank you for being on the Transporter Room this week. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. Now, good hunting against Harvard and Princeton especially. Go get them, Bulldog, Bulldog, bow, wow, wow. Good luck the rest of the season. We're going to beam you back down to Yale. Special thanks to Isaac Henning for being a part of the Transporter Room this week. Good luck the rest of this season, and go Yale. And finally, Carly's last call. This week, Martin Luther King Day holiday was Monday. Dr. King was a personal hero of mine. And I often wonder, what would he say to us now about the problems that confront us? Because you can bet, had he lived to this time, he would be 94 years old now, you can bet that voice would speak out on the issues that matter and would be a clarion call to action still. We don't know what Dr. King would say about things such as Peace, anti-poverty, inequality, climate change. But he gave us a roadmap back in the past. In a speech he delivered at Oberlin College, Ohio in 1965. The speech was entitled, Remaining Awake Through a Great Revolution. And one of the paragraphs in this speech reads, Now, it is true that the geographic togetherness of our world has been brought into being to a large extent through modern man's scientific ingenuity. Yes, we've been able to carve highways through the stratosphere, and our jet planes have compressed into minutes distances that once took weeks and months. And so this is a small world from a geographical point of view. What we are facing today is the fact that through our scientific and technological genius, we've made of this world a neighborhood. And now through our moral and ethical commitment, we must make of it a brotherhood. We must all learn to live together as brothers, or we will all perish together as fools. This is the great issue facing us today. No individual can live alone. No nation can live alone. We are tied together. Now, the gender language aside, there's a serious point that was made back in 1965 that definitely relates to us in 2023. Our world is a neighborhood, and it's a gayborhood as well. And we must make of it a place for all of us to come together. No matter who we are, no matter how we identify, no matter who we love. We truly have to learn to live together 
or we will all perish together. Dr. King may not have heard the words climate change, but in that passage right there, he got to the crux of what the crisis confronting us means. No individual can live alone. No nation can live alone. We are tied together. I know a certain leader in Russia who may need to hear that. I, I know certain leaders in our own body politic who need to hear that. Yes, our scientific and technological genius has made a world a neighborhood. Not just through jet planes, but also through this internet. This internet that can have so much promise and so much good, but also harbors some illful bitterness that we need to get through. I truly believe if Dr. King was with us now, he would be saying the exact same things he said back then. Timeless, yet oh so timely. And that's the transporter room for this week. And just a reminder, if there's something you'd like to see, someone you'd like to see, or something you want to say about what I'm doing here, please leave a message on our Twitter page, leave a message on our Facebook page, leave a message at our Instagram page, Transporter Room 10 Forward. Remember, everything I do here at the Transporter Room, I do for all of you, the people who support us. That's the Transporter Room for this week. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay Webb. Live long and prosper, and steady as she goes. I'll catch you all next week. <laughs>